Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. I am so excited to welcome today's guest, the lovely Lorraine Toussaint. <laughs> Lorraine is an award-winning actress who currently co-stars with Queen Latifah on the hit TV series, The Equalizer. She is known for her wonderful work in so many films and television series over her expansive career, including her thrilling performance as the viciously seductive inmate V in Orange is the New Black. Her work as an actor is widely known and celebrated, but what is not as well known but should be as widely celebrated is her passion for parenting, her now 16-year-old daughter, Samara. Lorraine has included great parenting stories and advice in her lifestyle blog, Everyday Lovely which he created in 2016 to encourage readers to use what they have access to and create a world that is lovely every day. Such a great aspiration. <laughs> and she offers tips and recipes and a lot of other inspirational messages to help them do so. Lorraine lives with Samara in New York. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Lorraine. Thanks, Carol. <laughs> it's great to be here. I am so excited to have you here with us today. So when we met through our mutual friend, Deborah Martin Chase, who's the producer of The Equalizer, I was prepared to be impressed because I'm an admirer of your work, and I appreciate it, and I was. But what I was not prepared for was the discovery that we shared such a parenting passion. We just dove right into a deep parenting conversation moments after we met. I immediately knew that I wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast, and I am so thrilled you're here with me today to talk about parenting. And we are able to do it in person, which is really incredible. I know. That's <laughs> nice. That's progress. I, I, it's progress. No it, doubt about it. It really is. So let's get started. So I often start conversations with one of my favorite bits of advice that I give parents, which is to parent the child that you have, not the one that you were or the one that you wanted. I really feel that your story is an embodiment of that, but I want to start out by talking about how you were parented. I know that you were born in Trinidad and that you were the only child of teachers and librarians, but if you could tell me a little bit about how you saw your early childhood, how you felt that you were parented. I saw my early childhood as um, being a small animal, earning the right to be human. I certainly had none of the rights or the privileges that I've given to my daughter. Mm -hmm. I certainly wasn't seen as um, having civil rights, human rights, <laughs> <laughs> any rights, in fact. Um, no, not at all. I, I grew up under the British system. Mm. And in in a in a sort of a very traditional middle class Caribbean way, mm -hmm. which meant um, you children were seen and not heard. You you did as you were told. You didn't interrupt. You didn't have even your own thoughts. You didn't have rights really to you. Not all of your emotions, only some of them, the acceptable ones. <laughs> and there were many that were unacceptable. Even as I say all of that. One of the reasons that I wanted to become a mother was because of the way in which I was mothered. I grew up with a mom who was physically disabled. By the time I was 11, she was diagnosed with MS. And so by the time I was 15, she was in a wheelchair. And in spite of all of those challenges, and there were many, when she, she came to America when I was seven, and left me with my grandmother for two years, the two worst, I think, the two worst years of my life in terms of um, lack of parenting. And when the, the grief when a child loses a parent is, is very profound and, and really does shape a life. Um, in spite of all of those obstacles and challenges, 
<laughs> she was an amazing mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a flawed mother. Mm-hmm. And we made an incredible journey of healing my mother and I mm-hmm. in areas that were very untraditional given the generation that my mother was part of and and culturally that that generation of women from the Caribbean they never said sorry they never went back they never looked back they they didn't go to therapy they didn't my mother was not like that and so we made this incredible journey of healing also so I wanted to become a mother because of the way in which I was mothered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it. <laughs> <laughs> so so let me ask you a little bit more about your time in Trinidad, and especially when your mom left. So she left to come to the United States to pursue a better life for the both of you. She, As I recall, there was a two-year stint where she had to work in order to get the green card to bring you over. What did you know? Why Did you understand why she was leaving? What did they say to you when she left? Well, first of all, my mom was a Montessori teacher in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. which um, she was part of the very first Montessori school. It was truly an experiment mm-hmm. because, we were, again, we were not educated in that way. Um, we, I was educated in, in a way where you... <laughs> I remember going to school very young and my mother taking me to the teacher. Now, now no judgment. <laughs> my mother taking me to the teacher and handing me over to her. Maybe I was six, mm-hmm. maybe, and saying, feel free to beat her. Ooh. Um, you have my permission to beat her. And Ooh. I remember being beaten pretty much every day by this teacher. Jeez. And one day I came home and I was actually bleeding. Oh. My legs were bleeding. And she did go back to school and say, you can beat her, just don't cut her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that was every child. Right. This wasn't personal. This mm-hmm. is how, this was the philosophy, you spare the rot, you spare the child. Spare the, spare the rot, rot and spoil, spoil the, the child. Spoil the child. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so when my mother left Trinidad, she was a Montessori teacher. She, but at that time, there was the, the U.S. government had a deal, had an arrangement with the Caribbean, and I think African countries too, where if you came up to the United States as a nanny mm-hmm. for two years, basically of indentured servitude, you would then get your green card and you could sponsor your child and all the other mm-hmm. ch- you, Entire families were sponsored that way. And this mm-hmm. was this was the fastest, easiest way to get to America, mm-hmm. which was always the land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. And so my mother took that opportunity. She was a pianist and a Montessori teacher, and she came up and she was a nanny. Mm-hmm. She was a domestic for two years. Mm-hmm. That's another story. Um, she was no, you know, she was, my mother was no quiet native girl. The, they they got a lot more than they expected <laughs> in all sorts of ways. But I was left with my grandmother mm-hmm. at the time. I remember going to the airport. Again, this is when children had no rights. You didn't you didn't owe them an explanation. You mm-hmm. didn't tell them what was happening. They had no rights to know what was happening. They just, you went along with whatever program showed up. I remember being in the airport with my mom because going to the airport used to be fun. We'd go to the airport. There was no TV. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with television. <laughs> One of the ways you entertain children is you took them to the airport and you watched planes take <laughs> exactly. off and land. It was great. I mean, it was great fun. We'd go to the airport. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we were going to the airport again. <laughs> How cool. Um, 
And I remember I was with a friend of my mom who actually at the time was the love of her life. And and she disappeared. And I was waiting and waiting and looking at the planes, landing and looking at the planes. But we were actually in the observation deck. And then I saw my mom walking walking the, the tarmac. She was walking to the plane because back then he, he mm-hmm, walked mm-hmm, to the plane. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's really odd. <laughs> and then she started going up the plane stairs. And there was a point in the stairs, the mid-stairs, and, I can, and you stand there and you look back mm-hmm. and you wave. Mm-hmm. And she looked back and waved. And it was at that, I mean, I'm, I'm 60, whatever, whatever, I, I, I never quite remember. And I can remember that moment as if it was yesterday. I waved and I thought, oh my God, she is leaving me. Mm. And of course, I wailed. I, the next memory I have is, is George, her love, picking me up physically and carrying me back to the car. And I remember, oh, so, and that began the, the, the I think the worst two years of my life where I was in such grief mm-hmm. at the loss of the mother. And no one thought to tell me really when she was coming back, what was the plan? Was there, and children of that age don't have a sense of time. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. weren't aware that children of that age don't have a sense of time. <laughs> and so there was no way of, giving me any tools to manage this this separation. So I just went into deep grief and failed all my classes. And I remember I was a violinist at the time of playing the violin, wanting to be a violinist. And thought, oh, no, let's get rid of that because she's not doing well in school. You know, all of the things, they did all the things that we now know to be. They did them wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's another yeah, word yeah, for it. They yeah, were, it was no, just wrong. <laughs> and so I spiraled. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out why I had spiraled. <laughs> and so probably they beat me more because I was spiraling. Because I. The thing about our childhood is that, <laughs> as I say to my daughter, there will always be reason to go to therapy in your 30s. <laughs> That's actually what your 30s are for. <laughs> Get on with it. At every step of the way, everyone that had parented me, my my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, all of the women that were put in charge of me along the way were all doing the very best they could. If they knew better, they would have done better. That's my job to figure that out, heal that, let that go, and celebrate the parenting that I did have, which was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it were integral parts of the human being that I am now. See, that last few sentences is exactly why I so love talking to you about this, because it's exactly right. So many people do things, the wrong things, with the best of intentions. That's Mm -hmm. actually, because of my own experience with that, that's why I started doing a podcast. I had loving parents who did the right things, the things they thought were right, smart people, but they just got some things wrong. Mm -hmm. And just as we will get some Mm -hmm. things wrong, but the difference is when when you can 
think about that, which a lot of people don't, and then try to heal it in some way in yourself. It just makes you a better parent so that whatever your 30-year-old child's going into therapy for, it will be more easily uh, resolvable <laughs> than each generation mm -hmm. will have less to do. One quick thing, I, I want to move more into sort of what happened after you came to the United States, but one little thing that it occurred to me so infrequently is that ever discussed what happens to the children of people who leave to become caretakers? I mean, it is there is that that heart wrenching story of your, and so vividly described of you watching your mom leave happens all of the time. My mother's family is from the West Indies, and I had an aunt, and I knew her as she looked like the black Catherine Hepburn, as far as I was concerned. She wore pants all the time. She traveled. Whenever she came back, she had stories and souvenirs, and she just seemed so cosmopolitan and amazing. And come to find out, she was a nanny, and she traveled with the family for whom she um, took care of two generations of children. The interesting thing, I mean, and, and she kept that life completely separate. I mean, we just loved when she came home, and she sort of enjoyed her job, as far as I could see. When she passed away, um, this was my grandmother's sister. When she passed away, the family that she had um, worked for was so distraught, so overwhelmed. I mean, it was as if they had lost a family member. And I recall vividly sitting there thinking, watching them thinking, okay, wait. I mean, just so, so distanced from that. I didn't have compassion for that in part because only as an adult could I understand sort of they were getting the time that our family was missing. I mean, everyone leaves their home to take to do something else. So it's, you know, you do work. But people don't think about, some people don't think about the people that work um, in, in homes and do things that make life easier for the rest of us. It's having this other, it's like people don't think teachers have families. People don't think the people that work for them have families. So this is the first time that I'm hearing the other side of that. It's an important thing to factor in. I mean, I appreciate that story. I want to fast forward to your mom's here, you're here in the United States, and then she falls ill. And you go from her having left you to be a caretaker for you are now her caretaker. And how old were you? I probably started around 11. Wow. And, and because you had had that two-year separation, was it tough for you to, did you pick up right where you left off? Or was there sort of a reunion of sorts that made for interesting parenting? I mean, when you, you came back with her and she was well for a while and then she got sick? She seemed to be well for a while. Ah. And as a parent, I now know how much we hide from our children mm. in certain kinds of ways. And I do want to qualify that because I actually don't hide from my daughter very much. But yes, I would say by the time I was 11 or so, mm -hmm. she started getting really, started falling and mm. have, there were issues and there were hospitalizations. And, but yes, there was definitely a period, there, there, was a, there was a wonderful kind of hiatus period when she first came back to get me. <laughs> I was standing at that same airport <laughs> and she came out and she looked so American. <laughs> she was so glamorous. <laughs> she was wearing a wig. 
<laughs> that was the era of wigs. <laughs> and I think it was a Flory something wig. And there oh. was, I forget the name yes. of the wig because they were so natural looking. <laughs> and she was wearing, she was, she, my mother was the quintessential lady. She was wearing a hat and she was wearing gloves. And she, she looked like, you know, Julia. <laughs> and uh, I was standing there and I, and I walked up to her and she walked right past me. <laughs> <laughs> because and I remember thinking, uh, hi, it's, it's me. And she walked past me and then someone had to come bring her back and go, this is Lorraine. I'd grown so much. I'd mm-hmm. changed so mm-hmm. much. We both had. Mm-hmm. And so I suddenly had to get used to this person. And of course, by then I had so much more cognition and I was more aware and um, yes. And so when I came to America, yes, there was, we didn't really know each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, those two years were, were crucial years developmentally. Um, it took, it, there was a real period there of, of, uh, reuniting with each other and, and maybe about a year, year or two, and then she got ill and, um, and then things started changing. Despite her illness though, um, she was able to see your vision for what you want to do and actually support it. I've read that you've talked about deciding you want to be an actor by sort of, you love movies, but then you saw an a acting school in the Yellow Pages, is that right? Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, she made it possible for you to to go to school, go to acting school. When everyone and all the other aunts and uncles in my life said, are you crazy? You're going to go to medical school. Like You're going to do something <laughs> proper. You're going to get a proper job. And I think it's maybe because she was a pianist and the, ah. she had the soul of an artist. I actually said to my mom, my mom said, I said, Mama, what would you have done with you? What, what's your secret desire to have been in life? She said, a spy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, a spy? She says, yes, I think I would have been really very good at espionage. <laughs> Not what you expected. No, my mother was really a little bit outside the box. Um <laughs> And you would never know it. She was the most conservative, conservative, quintessential. She was a quintessential lady. Um, no, because she believed in me. And I don't know why she believed in me. I guess I may have always had this thing that I have, which is there's a kind of, I I, I, I read something the other day that said, Lorraine Toussaint brings gravitas. <laughs> I might have, as a child, I might have had gravitas. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason I said I it. I believe that. I said it and she believed it and, and allowed me the space to explore it. And going back to what I said originally, our greatest pain in life is the soil in which our greatest gifts are birthed. The fact that I had been in so much grief for those two years, when I went to my first improv class, I was 11. I found out that all of the things that I had been through had perfectly wired my wired me to become an actor because mm-hmm. I hid in my imagination. I went into hiding in those years in Trinidad, and I crawled so far into myself and created a world where I was safe and where I could survive mm-hmm. the trauma. And that world, as it turned it turns out, was so familiar and so rich that that is the that is the stuff of actors. Mm-hmm. The greater your imagination and the facility to make that imagination real, 
realize that imagination mm-hmm. is the is the extent to which you're able to be an actor mm-hmm. and that's that was the birth those two years in Trinidad and Grieve was actually the birth of the actor mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for which I will forever be grateful mm. and not only were your hard years hardwiring you for acting they were also in a different sense hardwiring you to be a more conscious and purposeful parent in that you started out by saying that um, one of the things, part of your, um, the challenges of your childhood encouraged you to be a parent because you wanted to be able to make things different. And so I want to kind of pivot now to all the, the, the ways that that manifested itself. I mean, let me guess that you're not a, you don't believe in physical punishment for your I daughter. Don't. Right? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I've never hit my daughter. And she, she, as a child would say, oh God, mom, just don't use the voice. Don't use the <laughs> voice, mommy, please. Anything. Don't use the voice. I go, well, you know what? Um, I have to use the voice because that's the only thing I've got, right? <laughs> because anything else is not an option to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. And she said, I would all, and this is the child who would run around going, okay, spank me, go ahead. You can, go ahead, I dare you, spank me. <laughs> oh. And I remember one day saying, girl, you are clearly a child that ain't been beat because <laughs> I can't even think of a scenario in my childhood where I would say to an adult, go ahead, spank me. It's like, oh, hell no, hell no. Um, no, my daughter has a voice. She has access to her anger. She has, she, I've dragged my daughter all over the world. Mm-hmm. I have dragged my daughter onto every set that I've been on. I don't, I've not gone away on location without taking my daughter. I've pulled her out of every school that she's been in. Now, I'm not recommending this, mm-hmm, mind you. Mm-hmm. She has had an alternative education. My daughter is an alternative learner. My daughter, I remember pulling up when I went to do Selma. Mm-hmm. I was going to be gone for three months. I said, Mm-mm. I said, look, you can learn about the civil rights movement in school for three days from a textbook, or you can roll with me for three months and walk where Martin walked. You can walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. You can make that journey with me. Mm-hmm. All of that is true. The other part of it is that I was never, ever going to leave her behind, mm-hmm. ever. She spent a year in Ireland going to a little Irish parish school right on the sea at this <laughs> tiny little Irish school. And I can't, she, she'll she tell you, she didn't love every moment of it. Mm-hmm. I think when she's 30 again in therapy, <laughs> she's going to look back and go, that was a great adventure. I had, All these great adventures I had with my mom. <laughs> but I said consciously that she'd have a lot of, she'd have issues. We all do. Mm-hmm. But abandonment was not going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And I really was conscious with picking my poison. Mm-hmm. There are going to be, there's a consequence to every choice. And I just tried to parent as consciously as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And if I were to say that I'm a good parent, it's because I'm a conscious parent. It isn't that I don't make mistakes. I'm a parent that says, I, I apologize to my child all the time mm-hmm. for things that warrant apology. 
big things and little things. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sorry is not is is often said in our household. I'm really sorry. I really screwed that up. I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I did that again. Oh God, I'm really trying to work on this. I'm really mm-hmm. you know we do mm-hmm. that all the time. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. alone, my child is seen. Mm-hmm. I see her. Mm-hmm. I hear her. I veto some of the things I hear. She's not able to make all of the choices in her life. She's not equipped to make all those choices. Exactly. That's very important. <laughs> yes, that's a very important <laughs> distinction that you hear her voice, but you can veto it. I because, do. Yeah. I know. I, ve- I veto it. And I, I often say if my daughter isn't angry, and this is for her whole life, if she isn't angry at me at least twice a day, <laughs> I mean good and stinking mad. <laughs> I'm not doing my job. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not doing my job. Um, I'm not afraid of her anger. Right. At one point, I remember years and years ago, and she was so mad. I, I, I said no to something important to her. And she walked away, and the door slammed. And her bedroom door slammed. And within a second, she came running back and go, Mom, Mom. I did not slam that door. <laughs> I did, the door just happened to slam. I did not slam the door, Mom. And I said, "Oh, baby, I know you didn't slam the door. We're good. We got you. Okay, we're good, right? We're good." I go, "Yeah, we're good." And then she walked off and was angry. Mm-hmm. She went back to her anger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's entitled to her anger. Yeah, yeah. Anger is a very important emotion. It's very informative. We need anger in life. Mm-hmm. Anger spurs us. Anger warns us. Anger l- alerts us. Mm-hmm. Anger is important. Mm-hmm. You don't shut down anger. Mm-hmm. How she expresses that anger? Oh, hell no. And this is going to be <laughs> cultural, too, because sometimes I go, girl, like, oh, you got a black mama. <laughs> you can't, exactly you're not right. going to do that. You are not going <laughs> there with me. You can be angry, girl. Excuse yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I so relate to this, the slamming of the door. The first time my 11-year-old then daughter slammed the door, and I don't know that it was not, and I mean, I don't think the door just slammed itself. I I had to swallow hard, take a beat, because I had instinctively really angry in response. But I I opened the door and I said, you can be angry. It's almost, I mean, we read from the same script. You can be angry. Anger is fine. You can't slam the door. Because then the only thing I'm focused on is that the door has slammed. I've lost whatever communication, whatever it is you're trying to tell me about the anger, it's gone. I'm only at the door slamming. And we'd have alternatives like punch the pillows, go in and punch your pillows. I mean, find a way in your room to safely, you know, don't hurt yourself. But because there were just some things that I, I knew me. And I knew, I mean, everybody's different and it's probably cultural, but I, I knew that there was just some things we were not having. We, we were we, talking back. There was just some lines that needed to be drawn. And that's the, that's the thing. One of the reasons why I like to talk about parenting, because I learned as I studied parenting and talked to a lot of parents that everybody has different lines. Mm-hmm. And I started out very judgmental of where people put their lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, because... If their lines weren't my lines, then we couldn't see. I now understand that people have different lines, but everybody needs to respect their own lines within mm-hmm. themselves because mm-hmm. otherwise you just you you lose the opportunity to teach mm-hmm. and 
grow and you just stay mad I mean, or, or, or get mad. And, so, and all those lines have consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely, they do. And as a parent, you learn that, you know, teaching my daughter consequences was also teaching myself consequences. You know, um, <laughs> there are consequences to the consequences. <laughs> I remember that my daughter, my daughter went through a biting period when she was little, and we were at a party, and she Oh, she either bit someone or you know they're little savages <laughs> when they're, they're a certain age. She bit someone or she slapped someone, and I said, <laughs> I said, Samara, you must apologize. You 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 may not bite anyone." And she said, "No." And I said, "You must apologize." She said, "No." They started it. No. And I said. If it was a great party, it's a great birthday party, parents I really want to hang out with. I said, if you don't apologize, we are going home right now. She said, okay. <laughs> and as a parent, I was like, what? Damn. Well, wait, wait, no, 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 no. That's not the script, little girl. That is not the script. You are supposed to say, okay, I'm sorry. I want to stay. I want to stay at this really fun party and the jumper thing. I was just jumping in. And she said, no. And that little girl dug her heels in. And I remember I had to pick her up <laughs> and leave that party. <laughs> I was so angry at her, but angry at myself because I had learned a really tough lesson. I always, if I made a threat, I followed through. That is a big mistake. You cannot make a threat and not follow through. And that was one of those that I went, girl, you just better be careful what kind of threats you make. If you go at the party, don't make that threat because if you make that threat, you're going to have to leave and you don't want to leave. Right. Oh, I was so mad at her, but I was so <laughs> yeah. mad at myself, too. I lectured her all the way home. She didn't care. She had dug her heels in. But that is so, that's such a perfect parenting lesson because so many parents threaten in the moment and then realize afterward. You threaten in the heat of the moment, and then you realize the consequences. When, well, well, for me. Exactly. <laughs> when you take away things that they usually would occupy themselves with, and then they're just, then that means that there's things for you to have to do. I oh, mean, God, you, yes. <laughs> you, it's so, it's really important to, I mean, but I, I think, I mean, that's a great story because some parents would have waffled because of their own um, desires. And that's the thing, that's the hard part of parenting. You got to follow through. Got to follow through. I mean, not following through is a domino effect because if you don't, then you'll never be able to because they'll know that the threats are hollow. And then what do you have? Following through means that my daughter can trust me. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. She can trust me that what I say is is gospel. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've also practiced with my daughter, I don't lie. I don't know if I recommend that to everyone. <laughs> there are consequences to that. It comes to everything. Mm -hmm. But I have chosen in my life to not lie. And I certainly don't lie to her. Mm-hmm. She can trust, and I don't, I mean, also little, little lies, little white lies. There, there's, in my world, 
there are no such things as little white lies of convenience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is always a way to tell the truth. Always, right? Mm-hmm. Consequences, yes. Mm-hmm. And there's always, I've had to teach myself how to tell the truth in kindness because the truth can also be a mm. sword. No, that's really important. You must not use it as a sword. But children lie. Oh, my God. They <laughs> lie. They lie. They lie. They lie. They look you in the eye and they lie. I mean. Right. It's a test. They test. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> that, that was a hard one for as a parent because I don't lie to watch my child just look me in the eye and sometimes just straight up lie. I think we're still working on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good news is she knows your value. She understands what telling the truth is. And when you deviate from that, that that is not a good thing to do. And so you lose trust. Right. She'll she'll veer back. <laughs> I, I trust of, that she will. They have to test it. Yes, Otherwise, they, do. they don't can't tell that it's, it's part real. of the developmental process. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So I I just now I want to just segue before we end to parenting as an actor, and then uh, generally, and then I want to get specific, like. You know, you play on The Equalizer, uh, the parental aunt of Queen Latifah, and you've basically helped raise her daughter on the show. And so you've been that steady at-home presence when Robin McCall is off sort of saving the world from a variety of things. So first question is, do you have a Vi in your life? I mean, do you have someone who is sort of the the steady... Now, it sounds like your daughter's come with you for much of what you've done, but if you ever have to, if if she can't for any reason, do you have that sort of... It could not. It could be a group of people, but do you have people in your life that serve that role? I do kind of. Her her nana, um, my, both my parents are, are dead, and, and I have a friend who stepped in, uh, Patsy Simon, who came, stepped in and became her, her, her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- when she was younger, was that extra hand, that extra arm, that extra uh, mind, those extra set of eyes, mm-hmm. um, because I'm a single parent. And it was it's important to have someone to bounce things off Absolutely. of. Um so yes, I would say that she was that Aunt Vi, that mm-hmm. that Nana was Aunt Vi. Mm-hmm. Um but not beyond that, no, because I travel so much with my daughter mm-hmm. and I'm I think my personality I I, I do things my way. Mm-hmm. I trust my instincts above anybody else's. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to very many people for advice. I mm-hmm. mean, there were some great moms that I, I raised my daughter with, mm-hmm. my, my friend Kelly, who's living in Australia, and Diane and Crystal. We raised our children together. And when they were younger, there were there was sort of a circle of women. I've, I've always had a circle of women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend in Trinidad, she has f- four or five children. Mm-hmm. Um, when I needed specific advice or you know, medical advice or homeopathic advice, mm-hmm. I would reach out to different women. I, I certainly have, a, I have a village. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's been raised in a village, no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's great. So interesting. When I th- think about our conversation, I think about the role that you play. Um, you're effectively protecting um, Queen Latifah's daughter, 
in from the circumstances that you personally experienced, I mean, her mother has been gone for a while, and you act as the bridge in the show between the mom who's returned and the daughter who has kind of felt as if she's grown up without her and who is this person coming in. How, I mean, do you consciously think about how sort of that, ex- your experience kind of weaves into the role that you play or the, the circumstances of the role? Not until you just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Not until you just put it in that context. Isn't that interesting? It is. I mean, I have this theory that I'm testing out, um, particularly with guests, that, you know, people always want to ask working parents how you juggle work and your family. But I want to ask working parents how parenting has enhanced their work life and so how the experiences of parenting have enhanced their work life. And it sounds as if the spirit that you bring to Vi in the show is is born of, of course, the words on the page, but it's really imbued with the spirit of, you know what it's like to be the child. I mean, you know what it's like to be the parent who has to do work. You know how, that there are choices that have to be made. I mean, I'm, here I am trying to answer the question for you. Do you feel as if there's any aspect of the way that you parent or the way that that, that has impacted not just this role, but roles that you've taken? Yes. Um I think the biggest way in which my daughter has impacted the work is my daughter opened me up emotionally, psychologically, psychically in ways that I couldn't have even imagined mm-hmm. and and deepened and broadened and narrowed my focus <laughs> yeah. in ways that only a child can do. When my daughter was born, I, 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 I didn't work for three years because I fell so in love with her oh. that I, I just didn't want anybody else taking care of her. I went and and I and I, I went broke <laughs> after about three <laughs> well, years. I went <gasps> consequences. Yeah, <laughs> ooh, girl, mama got to go back to work. <laughs> we broke, and so when I look at my body of work since Samara was born. I would say she's responsible for so much of it. When I when I think of Orange, the work I did on Orange, the work that when I think of V, mm-hmm. I believe was her name, mm-hmm. um, V and Vi, V and Vi. I know. So it's isn't it weird. It's kind of weird. Every so every so often, someone on set right now will call me V, and I go, no, 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 Vi, Vi, <laughs> V dead. We we I have killed her. <laughs> um, that level of rage in V, there are places that I have plummeted where I know being a mother, there's nothing like mother's love. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. nothing like mother's rage. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. nothing like mother's passion. There's nothing like like your the danger of a woman if her child is in mm-hmm, jeopardy. Mm-hmm. That is a dangerous animal. Mm-hmm. And I mean animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of that stuff now, I have full access to that. And that's what goes into the work now mm-hmm. in ways that I, I'm a different artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a different instrument by virtue of being a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. That was, that's great. That's great. So as sad as I am to say this, I think I'm going to have to draw this to a close. No. I know, I know. <laughs> we have to have part two. But because um, I have so many other questions to ask. But before I wrap it up, I'm going to ask you to play the GCP, Ground Control Parenting, lightning round. Um, I ask all my guests just to give me their thoughts on a few quick questions. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. So your favorite poem or saying? My favorite saying is one of mine... And I have many favorite poems, um, but one of my favorite sayings that is my own is, forget the logic, follow the magic. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I've lived by that one. That's great. That is t-shirt worthy. (laughs) That's really great. Yeah. (laughs) Your favorite two children's books, and they can be a combination of one that you read growing up and one you read your daughter, or just two that you know and love. There was a book I used to read my daughter, the Mama Llama books. I love those because they were all about reassuring a child that they're loved unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And that was the gift that my mother gave to me. I always knew that I was unconditionally loved. And I think a mother, it's the only time in life that you know for a fact, lovers come and lovers go. But you know your mother loved you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's what I know my daughter's going to walk away with, as I walked <laughs> away with my mother. So one of your least favorite parenting moments. God, I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you, the, and many of them are embarrassing. It wasn't that long ago. I took, I, I was out of town overnight, Um uh, I think I was shooting your um, uh, honor in 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 um in New Orleans, and I would go back and forth and someone was staying with my daughter for a couple of nights and I set up a whole evening of dance. My daughter is a dancer. Mm, I'm mm-hmm. so pleased mm-hmm. she's she's an Ailey dancer. Oh wonderful. and um I set up with her with another mother and a friend to go out to dinner. i made I made reservations, and they were going to to the Joyce to see Tracadero. Ah. And I was just patting myself on the mommy back because mm-hmm. I had, this evening was going to be perfect. She wasn't going to miss me very much. I'd be back before she could even give, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, they got to the show and they clearly, I thought, oh, they're having a great time. They came, my daughter came back after the show and she says, mommy, mom? I go, yes, sweetheart, how was the show? <laughs> Did you know that all the male dancers were nude. <laughs> Completely. What I said, what do you mean nude? Mom, mom, they were completely naked, mom. I mean, like I saw their penises, all of them. I had no idea they were different sizes, mom. Oh my gosh. Mom, it was like, and then they had these birthing scenes of dance where they came out from under the dancers' skirts and they were naked, mommy. They were naked. <laughs> mommy, mommy, it was like, it was like the dancers had one choreography and their penises had another. Oh. <laughs> the dancers went one way and their penises went the other way. It was like a, they swung one way and they swung the other way. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting in a hotel room. <laughs> and I realized I, I treated this other mother and her daughter to this evening, too. <laughs> this really nice woman is sitting there with her child. And they had great seats. They were in the middle. They couldn't get out. <laughs> and so 
buffet. She had an evening of buck naked men. <laughs> and I was just like, how could this have gone so wrong? <laughs> how? How? Okay, that is a great story. <laughs> but we have to now quickly follow it up by a moment that you knew you had your parenting stuff down because, I mean, that was great. I mean, <laughs> but but there, there are many more moments, I'm sure. Like, when, when did you get to pat yourself on the back for mommy moment where it actually was a pat, a pat on the backable moment? <laughs> I was driving to my daughter to school one morning, and some of the best conversations with my child has happened on that mm-hmm. drive in the back of the car. And we were driving down the hill. We were living in Malibu at the time, and she said, "You know, mommy, you know what really irritates me? I get so mad. It really irritates me." I said, "What's the matter, honey?" She said, "I just can't stay mad at you." Oh. <laughs> she said, "I said, girl, I know." She said, "I tr- sometimes I try so hard to just <laughs> stay mad at you because I'm so mad and I want to stay mad, and it's like a few minutes go by. And it's like, God, I'm not mad anymore. <laughs> Mom, can we kiss and make up? Can we oh. can we hug it out? Can we, that's our phrase. Can we hug it out, Mom?" And I go, girl, I know sometimes I'm so mad at you, too, and I just can't stay mad at you either. And so. No, that's a perfect. That is, that's when you know. You're like. I go, yeah. You got it right. I did something right there. No, absolutely. We love each other, but we like each other. Perfect. And a perfect, perfect aspirational for all parents. It's possible. <laughs> and, it and she's a teenager. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I agree. That three that have gone through teenage and, you know, it's it's. It can be fine. <laughs> it really it is can fine. be fine. Yeah. It is lovely. Yeah, it's no, it is. It's actually lovely. It actually is. And more people should say that. I think people kind of like to traffic I in know, that. I know. It's so in, awful. I yeah. have no interest in, in, in that. It, yeah. Every yeah. moment of this has been, has been lovely. Yeah, that is so great. And with that, I will thank you again so much for, for coming today and joining us in this great conversation. It's been great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.